Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Sakara Life. We're so excited to have Gabby Bernstein on the podcast today. Gabby is a friend. We've known her from the early days of starting Sakara. She's also a number one New York Times bestselling author, international speaker. She's a meditation guide, an entrepreneurial mentor, and overall guru to millions of people around the world. If you ever get the opportunity to see Gabby on stage, we urge you to take advantage of that. She's been practicing this art form on an international circuit since 2004, speaking at Google, TEDx Women, Oprah's Super Soul Sessions, the Chopra Center, Omega Institute, HuffPost, and more. Last but certainly not least, she's also a recent mother to a beautiful baby boy named Oliver and a dear, dear friend and mentor of ours. Welcome, Gabby. So excited to have you here today. Am I in the top five first people to be on this podcast? Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, you are. I'm like a real, real trailblazer here. <laughs> I mean, you knew us when we first started Sakara. Oh, yes, I did. I think you were our first event we ever our, our did. Our first, one of our very first celebrity clients. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're so funny. You're so funny. <laughs> we were very excited to <laughs> get to meet you. And I remember we took a selfie with you, and my eyes are closed in it, but I was like, it's amazing. Posting <laughs> <laughs> it anyway. You guys are so funny. It's so funny. Well, we thought we'd start with this idea of mission. Whitney and I feel like we are on our path, acting on our mission, and we feel very connected to that mission to help people transform their lives through the power of food and plants as medicine. So we wanted to hear from your perspective. What is your mission? Like, what is your work? What are you here on earth to do? It's funny. It's such a big question. I know. But, We're well, starting, starting like, with it's, that It's always question. very easy for me to answer. It's, my mission is to help people crack open to a spiritual connection of their own understanding. Mm. That's it. That's what I'm here to do. Can you say that one more time? Oh, yeah. My mission <laughs> is to help people really open up, wake up, and accept a spiritual connection of their own understanding. Mm. And what are some of the the things and the tools that you give people in order to do that? So I've written seven books about yep. this topic, yes. Uh, and in those books and in my talks, I teach people spiritual practices that I apply in my own life that have allowed me to heal energetic disturbances, reframe my belief systems, always rooted in prayer and meditation, rooted in shifting your perception and changing your mind about your experiences. And I always say that I can't change someone's experiences, but I can help them change their experience of their experiences, mm -hmm. which ultimately, in effect, will change their actual experiences. Yeah, absolutely. That's shifting yeah. mindset. That's right. Right. And... Whitney and I feel like we found our mission because we hit rock bottom. You know, I mm -hmm. 
I eating this way saved my life. And I feel like that we turned our mess into our mission. Mm-hmm. Did you know your mission from the time you were very young and you kind of fell onto your path or, or was it a mess to mission thing too? Both. I knew it when I was young. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was 14 and I was leading the the Jewish youth groups. <laughs> I literally was like leading spiritual weekends at these temples. You <laughs> yeah. know? And I was like the president of the youth group. And so, you know, that was something that was in me from a very young age. I was very, very um, the happiest I was in my childhood and my adolescent years was when I was in my my Jewish sleepaway camp where there was like a lot of spirituality, not religion so much, but more spirituality. Mm-hmm. And in the and then in the youth group settings, I felt very empowered and I felt like a leader and I felt really on on mission. And then, uh, yes, I I turned my back on a lot of that for a lot of years and got here in New York when I was 19 and started promoting parties and then became a publicist and started representing nightclubs and just can, still gathering people. It, literally. I mean, everybody's still saying Gabby at the door. You yeah. know? <laughs> so, um, but I was, um, I even, I worked with your husband. Yeah, you know? I it's remember. So funny. And so I um, just, you just do the math. You know, you spend enough time in those clubs and, you, you know, mm-hmm. as a, someone who's like seeking for well-being and not even well-being, but worthiness and mm-hmm. their self, my self-worth and looking for it outside of myself ultimately led to a cocaine addiction, mm-hmm. uh, alcoholism, and my bottom, my first bottom, yeah. one of many. <laughs> yep. But I, I don't think of bottoms as bad. You yeah. know, I, yeah. I often quote Rumi, and he said, the wound is the place where the light enters you. So when we have those so moments strong. of just feeling cracked open, that's the door. That's the door that's swinging, and we can either walk through it or we can ignore it. But we've all in this room chosen to walk through it. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about... How the universe is always talking to you, and sometimes it's a little nudge to go in a certain way, and then if you don't listen to the nudge, you know, it just like moves until you hit the brick wall. And like, what can we do to not hit the brick wall? Like, I feel like you have cultivated this practice and know how to tune in and listen, and I think it's something everybody out there wants to do. And so, what are some of the ways we can really learn to listen? You just said it. You said you developed a practice. Right. So I think that that's the answer. The same way you have a practice with your choice of food, as do I, mm-hmm. and that, that development of that practice that, okay, so one day maybe you ate something that was taking you out, but you know how to return back. And that's the same with having a spiritual practice is that you would be conscious in conscious contact with the higher power of your own understanding, as they say in the 12 steps, have conscious contact. And having that daily repetitive conscious contact strengthens your faith in whatever that means to you. Mm-hmm. And strengthening that faith is what will guide you out of those bottoms. So it doesn't mean that you will be saved from any bottom, but it's that you won't necessarily have to hit the wall, like you said. The wall. You can kind of feel when you're headed in that direction and yeah. start to pull back. And then, you know, if you do hit the wall, you know how to get back. Right. I love how open and vulnerable you are. I think typically when we think of spiritual teachers, we kind of put them on this pedestal and they don't hit the wall and they don't hit a rock bottom. And uh, they never eat French fries. <laughs> yeah, they're perfect. Yeah. Lies. Yeah, Lies. exactly. And But your, your vulnerability is really moving. Um, and I just got to hear you speak a few weeks ago when we were yeah. in Atlanta together. And it just reminded me of one of the things that makes you so special. And so what 
Do you feel like sharing that vulnerability is part of your spiritual teaching or is it part of your spiritual healing or both. is it both? Yeah, both. I think that, one, I couldn't do the work that I do if I wasn't telling the truth because then I would just be a fraud. Mm, right. So I would just have to drop the mic and walk out. So that's number one. And I built my my mission based on the back of telling the truth. Right. So I was 25 when I got clean. And that was where I really began speaking publicly and at the time I was talking about that, you know, how I was getting sober and how I was finding a God of my own and how I was, you know, what I was doing to forgive myself and all these practices. And as time has gone on, I've lived a lot of life. I'm 40 now, which is like unbelievably crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 40. <laughs> I'm sitting with you guys. You're like 33, right? Like something crazy. Oh my God. 33 to me. I wasn't even married yet. Um, so I'm 40 and I'm just looking back and just thinking about how I think that 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 foundation, having a spiritual foundation, allows you to go through these different life experiences and know that you'll get out, know that you'll survive it, mm-hmm. even when you don't know how. But do you feel like you have to share everything that you're no. following your audience? I wants? don't share everything. You don't share everything. There's things you don't know. <laughs> Are you going to tell us? No. no. <laughs> because you you speak a lot about your struggles your journey of getting pregnant, your journey after giving birth. And a lot of that is very personal. Mm. And But you felt moved to share this with your audience and mm. with the world. How do you choose what you want to share, what you don't want to share? Like, Do you feel like you have to give these things to people? I don't feel I have to do anything, but I do... I do feel called to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. I feel that if I am working through something and I have recovery, then it's my responsibility to share how I've recovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when I'm not fully recovered, I can. Ah, it's not exactly true. I mean, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not fully recovered in some of the areas that I've been speaking, but I'm in enough of a foundational, grounded state that I can speak with clarity and not activate people or trigger people and the thing is also ultimately when you share vulnerable things it's kind of like you go first so when you go first everybody else is like oh my god me too right and, yeah. and it can be a lot of responsibility to, to, to do that so mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop speaking about shameful things because I you know I've been referring to myself as a shame shifter mm-hmm. and I want to speak on behalf of the unspoken shame in very public ways because I want to help people. I don't want to say normalize it, but I want people to feel okay knowing that they're not alone. When you give voice to something that someone has been hiding, then they no longer feel that they have to hide. So that's happened a lot in my life, talking about things that are really uh, yucky things to talk about, addiction, trauma, abuse, postpartum depression, you know, Mm -hmm. mental illness, ultimately, recently. So Having to speak on behalf of some of these struggles, I think, has benefited many people to find their voice. Absolutely. And then where is the line drawn on, like, how you decide what to keep private? And I I ask this because I, you know, Whitney and I say Whitney never thought she'd sit on a panel and talk about her skin issues. And it was her deep, dark secret. What skin issues? Yeah. And I never thought I'd, you know, be talking about my shame around my body and addiction to dieting. And now as I speak out about it and I talk about what helped me heal, a lot of the questions I get are, okay, but are you really healed? Like, do you ever revert back? And I usually Mm -hmm. say, 
I don't know if my relationship to my body is in a beautiful place, more beautiful than it's ever been. So I don't know what else to compare it to other than my, you know, my darker days. And so do you feel like the walls that you hit when you think about healing, are you healed or is healing a a constant evolution or is it just a hump to get over? So like my body image issues, people ask like, am I actually healed? And I say, it's it's a constant practice and I know the things that make me feel really good in my body and I try and always do them. If I reverted back to things that didn't make me feel good, like crazy diets or something like that, I think I would fall back into body shame. Yeah, I I really agree with that. And I think that I like to reference the 12-step motto of progress, not perfection. Mm. So we have these these tools that we've been relying on to heal. I'm someone who's willing and brave enough to go to the go to the dark corners of my psyche to really unearth them because my deepest desire is to be free, free from energetic disturbances, free from from unconscious wounds, free from childhood fears. And I'm doing it. I'm doing it, girls. <laughs> yeah. So I, my answer years ago might have been like, oh, well, you're never going to really be able to recover, but you can that you can feel better every day. Or I, or maybe that wouldn't have been my answer, but maybe I would have been a little bit more about the progress part. But I, I think with celebrating that progress, you can also have an expectation that the the more willing you are to do deep work, the more you can expect freedom. There is freedom. Mm. Yeah, I, I've experienced a lot of it. I see it as releasing some of the programming, too. Totally. We all have different types of programming, even language programs, the way that our brain works. And I think, you know, you say, what skin issue And maybe my acne doesn't show up on my face now. Um, But it's still a scar, right? Yeah. And I do feel like, yeah, there is the scar and maybe some of the pain that's left over where I can still feel where it was. When I said scar, I meant like inner scar. Right. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I mean, too. And but I also feel like that the acne didn't just stem from, you know, it, it was definitely a gut imbalance and a gut disorder very much connected to what I was eating, and eating Saqqara helped me to clear my skin. But it wasn't just the food. Of course. It was also the thoughts that I was thinking, like yeah. the the mental that I was feeding myself. Gut conditions are psychosomatic conditions. Exactly. Now, does that mean that you don't have to heal the microbiome and, and you know, totally clear things out? Yeah, of course you do, because you've gotten into a situation where you're imbalanced. But how did you get imbalanced in the first place? Yes, because of what you're eating, but primarily because of what you're thinking, what you're mm-hmm. feeling. I study the work of Dr. Sarno. He's written the books, The uh, mm-hmm. How to Heal Back Pain and yep. the, right. the Mind-Body Prescription. That yes. Um, the mind body prescription I recommend to anybody, but he's really just talks about how when we have uh, a physical ailment, whether it be pain or gut, big time, big skin, all of it, mm. it's because we have impermissible rage. Mm. So there's mm. there's there's stuff that is not. That's what Louise Hay also talked about with the that, skin. That pimples were little bursts of anger. That's right. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Right. And mm. so I I feel like it's. It can just it can also shift where for me it is something that I have to always be working on because I think that that programming that created that acne in the first place where Louise Hay talks about it being self-dislike. Yeah. That that isn't completely gone yet. 
Totally. And yeah. You're 33, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Working on it. Yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> but that's why we, we talk to people like you to, to help give us the tools and you're information. You're doing great. And, right? <laughs> and that was going to be one of my questions. You've referred to this idea of deep work. Can you define what that looks like for you or what maybe it can look like for our listeners? Yeah. So I, um, I have minimum two therapy sessions a week. Yeah, that's one of <laughs> but them. But it's also but it's also, you know, it's my school, right? So every I learn a lot from being in therapy about myself, about other people, about the human condition. I I do EMDR therapy, I do cognitive behavioral therapy. I do all kinds of I do EFT, uh energy where I just worked started working with an energy healer who's mm-hmm. been literally like shifting, moving energy out of my body and, and, and distance. It's distance healing, and I can feel it moving in the moment. I have a commitment to 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 really releasing. And it took mm-hmm. me a lot of years. I mean, I've been in therapy by, for 20 years, maybe longer. But, well, 15 years, yeah. I No, no, 20 years. Yeah, I've been in therapy wow. like half my life. <laughs> and so, but but being in those, in those therapy sessions for probably six, of those 20 years, I was just like pretending everything was fine because I think a lot of us just are so terrified of what's underneath. Mm-hmm. And it, that's why it's a process to mm-hmm. go to and, and also having a spiritual practice is part of having a therapeutic practice because the more faith you have, the more you practice just relaxing your nervous system, the safer and safer you get to do the deeper work. Right. So like unearth it. Totally. And I, you know, I, I also study uh, Peter Levine, who created somatic experiencing. Mm. Again, it's about the somatic experience of trauma and what ha- what it does to your physical presence, and also more importantly, how do you how do you release it from your body? Mm. So, you know, really looking at that, he, he, Peter's like everybody's traumatized, you know. But totally. you know, some people it's affected them in far worse ways than others, right? But everybody has some kind of imprinted experience that's dictated how they act, how they react, how their body is functioning, mm-hmm. and we. Many people, most people go through life just coping, coping with food, drugs, alcohol, whatever, right? Or coping by just accepting, like, I'm just an anxious person, okay? Right. But there's a reason for that anxiety. And also just being alive right now in these times, (laughs) we're going to have anxious experiences. Yeah. So there's a lot of tools to to heal your nervous system and to, to regulate, and that's excellent. And then when you begin to regulate and you start to feel more relaxed, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. You're going to go deeper. Are you brave enough to go deeper? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so don't yeah. don't do it when you're not. Don't do it until you are ready to go deep. I don't think you'd even try to go deep until you're ready to. Yeah. That was my experience. Yeah, right. And when you talk about faith, what does that mean to you? Because I think for a lot of people. Maybe they think back to going to church as a child or being forced into a religion through their parents, and maybe that word can be scary to them. What does it mean for you when you talk about Yeah, that's why I like to to help people recognize that it's a faith of your own understanding. It's a God of your own understanding. I was brought up Jewish, but in a very spiritual Jewish background, Reformed Judaism, but very spiritual, just the corners I was guided to mm-hmm. or I magnetized towards. Uh, and then my mom was a part of the city yoga path. And so I was brought to ashrams and given, you know, named by Guru Mai and just given a mantra at a young age to meditate. And so I had a very spiritual upbringing, I suppose. So that's what I'm here to teach people is that 
you can find God through religion. You can find God through Saqqara food. You can find God through, you know, you can find higher power in many corners. And I don't care what you call it. I just care that people call upon it. I, my books will all help people welcome that presence if they're feeling like, I want to know that there's something more. And I always ask people, well, how would your life be different if you knew you were being guided? So I know my, so when you ask what is faith to me, I know Mm -hmm. my faith is that I know I'm being guided. I know that I have a lot of guides around me, teachers, family members, angels, energy. And that the universe has your back. The universe has my back. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going through something right now where I have been relying on like melatonin and and non-THC CBD to sleep because I had postpartum insomnia and anxiety and depression and I'm six months into recovering from that. So I've had to rely on some of these sleep aids to to get my sleep back Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to get pregnant again. So I'm thinking all the time about like, oh, what am I going to do when I can't take those things and, you know, kind of worrying about it. And then the second I start worrying about it, I pray and I'm just like, God, you'll, you'll show me that it's okay. You'll take care of this. And immediately I feel fine. Because I'm just giving it over, turning it over to, you know, what am I going to do? Spend the next three months like freaking out about something I can't control? No, I'm just going to say, okay, God, you take care of this. Help me be tired enough to sleep or help me really amp up my sleep hygiene so that I'm set up, right? Yeah. I love that so much. And I think it's so important to ask, to ask, to surrender, but then also cultivate the awareness and the ability to listen so that when it comes and your prayer is answered that you actually notice. And we run into that even with with food. It's we can't just give you the food and then hope you'll notice the difference. Most people really needed to be guided in a way to say, hey, when you're on the program for five days, these are the things you need to look out for. Yeah. And it's to cultivate that body intelligence, to cultivate that looking inward, listening, you know, oh, actually, I do have more energy. Actually, you know, I am experiencing less bloat, actually. And we have to help people notice those things. So what are some of your tricks or ways that you help people cultivate that stillness in order to listen and be aware? Well, I teach lots of meditations, which is probably one of the greatest ways to cultivate stillness. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I write a lot of prayers in my books. So when I wrote my book, The Universe Has Your Back, I was like, I'm a prayer giver, you know, and I just wrote all these prayers and yeah. they just come through me. I channel them. I I think that giving people prayer, I mean, I wrote a book called Make Cause Miracles. It was like 40 days of prayers pretty yeah. much, right? So just I believe in subtle shifts. I don't think that we have to just change overnight. I think that would be too alarming to our nervous system. Although, you know, people can have quantum shifts and decide to decide to get clean tomorrow or whatever but that doesn't mean you're completely changed right Right. but I believe in those subtle shifts those subtle shifts when they add up become the change become the lifelong change Mm -hmm. so the first thing I would say to somebody is just keep it simple just just start to have the willingness to see things differently Mm. have the willingness to say a prayer or set an intention and that is a practice that's a that's a daily practice to just turn it over it really is such a practice of surrender and challenging your faith in a way so if you are wavering on your faith then you don't trust that the universe is going to provide yeah my latest book super attractor i talk about how to help your faith become stronger than your fear i ultimately that's that's a book on just really developing a very strong, positive, empowered relationship with the higher power, with the universe, with whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. That 
all the practices in that book are about leaning towards joy and feeling good. And I wrote that book because I wanted to help people feel good. Yeah. I actually wrote it because I wanted to feel good. <laughs> and it worked. You know, it made me feel so good. And I, I, I write about it in the book that I was, like, meant to get induced. I was scheduled to be induced. And you guys know the story. You saw me talk about it. So we love the story. Yeah. And so, you know, I was – when it's your first child, you don't have don't know what to expect – I was being induced because I was 39 years old, right? So they wanted to control as much as they could. So 40 weeks, they were trying to schedule to induce me, and I was, you know, kind of freaking out. And I kept turning it over and asking the universe for signs, and I got my sign, the cardinal. And so I relaxed. And then the night that I was meant to, two nights before I was meant to get induced, I was in my bed reading the book and just feeling so, because I was editing the book right before I was going to deliver the book before I delivered the baby. (laughs) And I was just reading the book, and I was just so lit up by the book and feeling so good about the book and feeling so connected to the contents in the book and feeling so good. That was my intention. And then I stood up and my water broke. <laughs> wow. And so I was able to, you know, just sh- just shuffled Amazing. my way onto the most beautiful birth I've ever could have ever possibly hoped for as a result of just being surrendered, being yeah. relaxed and being in a, in a positive state. Yeah. And I love in Super Attractor. I'm reading it right now. I What I love about kind of your own definition of manifesting is that you attract what you are. And it's, it's shifting people's mindset from manifesting is just this simple thing and you write down what you want and then you wait for it to come. And although I think that could be part of it, I think what at least what speaks to me in your book is that you actually have to become it. And it's the practice of becoming it that then attracts what you want in the first place. That's right. So in the book, I begin to talk about how we would change our perspective through a method that I call the choose again method. Mm -hmm. Because if we're going to become what we desire, we have to change our mind about it. Mm -hmm. Often one of the biggest reasons we block what we want is because we don't believe we're worthy of it. So can you tell us about this choose again? The choose again method is excellent. I mean, I, I think if this is the only thing somebody took from the book, they would have a lot of success. It's the first step is to notice that negative thought that you have on repeat regularly. We all know what that thought it may be or how, mm-hmm. it, how it affects us. So notice it and pay attention to it and look at it and, and notice it in the moment and then notice how it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. How is it affecting your body? How does your, does your stomach hurt? Does, you know, is your jaw clenched? How does it make you feel? Then the second step is the most important step, which is to forgive yourself for having the thought. Mm-hmm. What's really profound about that is that we believe that we are these thoughts because Abraham Hicks says that a belief is just a thought that you keep thinking. So if you've got this thought on repeat, then you believe it. And you believe it's you. You believe it's your reality. You believe it's your life. And so one of the most powerful ways to undo a belief system is to forgive it. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, forgive yourself for having that thought. Because when you forgive yourself for having that thought, ultimately what happens is you dis- disconnect from the belief that you are that thought. Right. Because there you are again, thought, but you're not me. You're just a thought I've been thinking. So I forgive myself for having the thought. I forgive the thought. So that's step two. And crucial because you couldn't do step three without step two. And step three is to start to choose again. And choosing again looks like reaching for that next best feeling thought. Mm. So, you know, if it's something, let's say it's related to skin, right, and you're nervous because, you know, maybe your hormones have been changing or something's up, right, or, mm-hmm. you know, what's going to happen when I'm pregnant or something like that, mm-hmm. right? And so you would Notice the thought. Notice how it makes you feel. Forgive yourself for having the thought. Now, when you forgive yourself for having the thought, it takes you away from the story, right? Yeah, and also takes down the stress a bit. Correct. Yeah. Right. 
Exactly. <laughs> and the stress is what cultivates the block from the universe. The stress is what makes you, would, would affect your skin anyway, right? Yeah, it creates the, just the imbalance in the gut. Yeah. Too. And, and it's resistance, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then the third step would be choose again. So you could choose again just like this. Well, I own a company called Sakura. And I can always return back to my food. Yeah. I can always return back to my breath, my, my meditation practice, my mm-hmm. yoga practice. I trust that, that when I calm my nervous system, my body can heal. I believe that this isn't a hormonal issue. This is a psychosomatic issue. Mm-hmm. And I can just return to my breath and return to my healing. And I can, I'm willing to go deeper. I'm yeah. 33 and I'm going to go deeper. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But that, those are the simple things that you can reach for that I know you believe in. And right. when you reach for the thoughts that you believe in, that's when you start to feel better. And what about when it is you? And I guess I ask this. I feel like I know what you're going to say, but I still want to hear you say it. Is I had a pregnancy scare while pregnant, and it ended up correcting itself. Or we don't even know if it was really ever an issue. But as we get more and more advanced with technology, we're kind of finding out things that you wouldn't have known. You wouldn't have known before, and it might actually be normal in the progress of pregnancy. But if it remained at the end of pregnancy, it would be a problem. Right. So it's almost it's to me it almost sometimes feel like dangerous information. But I guess that's because I allowed it to be dangerous information. But that's one example. Or you know, what about my you know my mom's dealing with illness or other people dealing with illness? What about when you have a medical record in front of you to say this is part that's of you? you need your faith oh, most. like the genetic testing. People get genetic testing and they say you're predisposed to get breast cancer. Yeah, yeah. And then that thought. I like, mean, how do you separate faith, there? That's when your faith has to come in most. You know, yesterday I had a mammogram because I'm 40. You know, and <laughs> the things you can look <laughs> wow. forward to, ladies, squeezing <laughs> your boobs together. Yay. And, you know, and I sat in the room and the woman's like, you know, I'd had a fibroadenoma, which is just like a benign cyst removed when I was younger. And I've had fibrocystic breasts and, you know, just things that are kind of common. Right. But they're like, now that you're 40 and you've had a child and you've had fibrocystic breasts and a fibroadenoma removed, all benign things, you're at high risk. And I was like (laughs) and I just like looked at her and I was like. No, I have faith. Like, I'm good. I'm good, lady. This is all before I get the mammogram. And then I look over at the wall next to her. And I just was like, no, I'm in my faith, lady. Like, I'm yeah. good. And then I look at the wall next to her. And on the wall is an image with this bird and a, and a bunch of lilies. And as if you read the book, lilies are one of my signs. And so, and, the, and then it said, like, you know, with faith, everything works out or something like that, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm good, girl. I'm real good. And then I'm looking, you know, waiting to go in for the mammogram, and I'm looking at a photo of my son and I, and I realize it was taken at 11, 11 a.m. that morning. And so I'm just like, I'm so hooked up. Because like, when you're in sync with the universe, the universe continues to remind you of how well you are. And so, you know, God forbid something very difficult does happen in your life, and I've lived this recently, mm-hmm. that's when you need your faith most. When I was suffering with... Uh, being suicidal ultimately is really where mm-hmm. I was at with my post with the postpartum. It's not my postpartum, right? With the postpartum experience I had, yep, I was suicidal and I was real bad. And in those moments when you're having a mental illness, you don't necessarily know like is there a way out of that, right? Like you could really be like, how do I get out? And even though meditation and prayer were meditation wasn't working, but prayer worked. Because every time I'd pray, I would just continue to turn it over and just say, I need help. I don't know what the next right action is. Because it was all me trying to fix it that was keeping me from actually getting the solution. Mm-hmm. So when I was trying to fix it holistically and melatonin and, you know, functional doctors and listening to, you know, you know, doing more saunas or whatever, I was actually trying to control it. 
Mm. But then, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't exhaust all our options, mm. but but we also need to let love guide us. So no matter what, even while we're looking at those other options, because I might have gotten to the solution sooner. Mm. Wow. The solution for me was medication. Yeah. And I just I say that very very publicly because in our it's world people are so, so important. they they just I've been shamed by so many people yeah <laughs> just energetically you know just in their eyes or and like you know oh it's just too bad that they have to take chemicals it's like Ugh. go fuck yourself yeah, I was seriously. gonna kill myself you know seriously. so and who are they to I know you have a lot of moms listening so I just want to say like we're in the wellness world there's moms listening don't be too wellnessy to get the therapeutic help, the that, help you that you need with the right guidance like with a really good psychiatrist or if you can't afford a psychiatrist, your OBGYN is trained to be able to prescribe mm-hmm. these medications and guide you through them. But don't don't just jump on it because you think you're you know really out you know weigh it out, but see how it gets. Yeah, and these medications were created to help in situations like these. I Crisis. think they've gotten a bad oh, oh rap abused, abused, of, overused, yeah, of, absolutely prescription and things like 100%. that. One hundred percent. But I believe they're absolutely useful in times when they're needed. Well, it's and it, like, it's you know, the, the, the joke is like, if somebody had a heart condition, they would take blood thinners in five minutes, have no problem telling everybody about it, right? But with mental illness, it's such a stigma. And being mm-hmm. a meditation teacher and a spiritual teacher, I was part of the stigma. Right. I was like, you know, right. on my blog, one one time I had my, my team writing their anxiety stories for my blog. And one of my team members is on Prozac and you know, saved her life, right? And I was like, you know, Katie, you can't talk about Prozac on the blog. It's going to start a whole conversation. I don't want to begin to start. I mean, I was totally shaming her. Wow. And then the, as soon as I got diagnosed and I was on meds, I called Katie. I was like, oh, Katie, I am an asshole. Like, I was <laughs> like, I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. I shamed you. That is... I think that manifests in other areas too, not just mental health, but also around birth and mothering. Oh my god! Like I was, oh I god. was, I had so much judgment around C sections and women that decided, you know, I wanted a home birth and no medication, so I felt like that was the perfect way to birth, as if there is a perfect way. No way. And I got brought to my knees in the most magnificent way. Yeah. And it was so what I needed. It, it, it humbled me in every way. And there is not a, a, a dollop of judgment in me right. now about how anyone decides to birth a child no. into this world. No. no. And parent, m- motherhood is a real place of judgment. <laughs> yeah. For sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in your book, Super Attractor, or I forget where I saw this. I think it was in that book. But you talked about manic yeah. Manifestors. It's in yeah. Super Attractor. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because I thought it was really powerful. Yeah. There may be some out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so some of you listening. This isn't coming from a place of judgment because we've all been there, right? Absolutely. But the Manic Manifestor is the person that shows up at my live talks and they're they're like Gabby, I'm doing everything. I'm eating my sakara. I'm drinking my juice. I'm meditating all the time. I'm doing the kundalini mantras and all the kundalini mantras and all the kundalini mantras. <laughs> but I'm not attracting what I want. And, you know, the answer is because they're manic about it. Sometimes we can use our spiritual practice as another form of addiction. Mm-hmm. The same thing with food. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, healthy food. Carolina shared about this. I, she used a word or a phrase I didn't know before. Orthorexia. Orthorexia. Yeah. 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 It's the addiction to, to yeah, like if it's not 
clean, you absolutely won't. Or if it's not yeah. perfect plate yeah. of food, you yeah. know, you won't partake. Yeah. There's a lot of judgment around it. It's another way of controlling. It's absolutely. addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And the same the same goes with spiritual practices. You know, people are, or, you know, if, I'm, if I didn't meditate the exact amount of time this morning. And if you're, when your spiritual practice becomes a stressor in your life, you know you are manic manifesting. Mm. And ultimately, any manic energy is going to block us from that super attractor power. But when we when we clear those patterns of pushing and controlling and manic energy, and I've got a lot of practices in the book that clear those patterns, that's when we really tune up and start to align with our super attractor power. We all are super attractors. We just forgot. And this book reminds you how to get back. Mm. That's great. So we like to offer our listeners what we call light work. Mm. And it's a practice or a challenge we like to make it a challenge for in this next week or this next 30 days whatever length of time you choose um what is something that you want our listeners to do in order to start to shine their light more brightly it's exactly what you were talking about about cracking open and taking that next step to not just try to sit there and hope and and manifest in that manner but actually move things move the energy into helping them to create the life they want to live. Yeah, it's an unveiling is how I picture it. Sure, it's beautiful. Well, something I write about in Super Attractor is that when we want, when we start wanting more for others, that's when we cultivate an energy of abundance in our own life. Mm-hmm. We can't do it just because we want it on ourselves, right? But, but mm-hmm. shift your focus off of what you think you need and start to really want more for others. And right now we're in this holiday season and we're in such a beautifully primed place to start to want more for others and just start to open up to that energy and that shift in our perception. Wanting more for others. And the other thing I would say is to practice what I talked about, which is that choose again method. Bring that into your daily practice, particularly as you go into the new year, because in the new year, we're going to have we're going to have a lot of opportunities to change. We get really, you know, revved up with this opportunity to 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 do our resolutions. Mm -hmm. So why not start it on a really clean foot? I really Mm -hmm. like that a lot of trying out this choose again method, recognizing your thoughts forgiving your thoughts, and choosing a new one. That's right. And seeking abundance for others. Want more Making for others. Making that part of your prayer. Oh, my God. It just gets you out of your own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's freeing. Releases judgment. We love you. Thank I love you. you guys. Thank you for being here. I'm so proud so of you grateful. guys. I always talk to everybody. I'm like, if there's a company I'm going to invest in, it's them. <laughs> I love them. I love you guys. Well, thanks <laughs> so, so much so for being here. Yeah. Gabby, so endlessly inspiring. What I love about Gabby so much is how raw and honest she is with her fans and followers about all the ups and downs of her life, from addiction to fertility struggles to postpartum depression. Her willingness to be vulnerable helps us all realize that no matter where we currently are, we all have the potential to heal and shine as brightly as we are all meant to. Many of our clients share a similar openness with us about their own struggles around food, and particularly disordered eating. As a yo-yo dieter with body image issues herself, Danielle made sure that when we created Saqqara, it never felt like a diet or something rigid and restrictive. Saqqara Light Jory from Michigan describes how her four weeks on Saqqara brought about a mental shift for her around food. Here's Jory's Saqqara story. I had practiced a vegan lifestyle before becoming a mom to three kids. 
Once my kids were born, I went into survival mode and cooked quick meals, never actually sat down to eat, and found myself snacking constantly. This program taught me the importance of sitting down to meals to nourish my body and my mind. I believe it also set a wonderful example to my children. I have a history of disordered eating and found control in fasting, but this program truly helped me gain control in a healthy way. I can't thank you enough. Sakara Life has changed my relationship with food, something therapy never accomplished. Jory, we are so honored to have you on the Sakara Life and to have helped you along your path of healing. Thank you for sharing with us so openly. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com or send us a DM at Sakara Life. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. This podcast was recorded live at Noya House in New York City.